Hey, parents, Dr. Michael Gurian is with us. Along here beside him is Tim Wright. That's me. Uh, and I'm alongside him only on video. We're never alongside each other uh, when we do these podcasts. But here we are. Glad to be with you, Michael. Good to have you with us. Hey, hey, uh, it's great to be here. Great to be here. And you just got back from Israel. You had a two-week trip to Israel. I did. I did. And it was wonderful. It's, it's such a beautiful country. I, I know sometimes people are a little, are you sure you can go there? It's so dangerous, but it's not at all. No. it's You never see anything uh, happening over there. It's just beautiful. People are beautiful. The food is amazing. And of course, you're walking around history. It doesn't matter what faith or non-faith you have. You're just walking history all over the place. So beautiful. And we had a, a great trip. Great. So thanks for asking. So today we've got uh, a question I pulled off of our uh, Facebook group. If you've never joined our Facebook uh, group Wonder of Parenting. Just go to facebook.com, facebook.com, and do a search of uh, Wonder of Parenting. And as soon as you uh, join, I will uh, let you in. And uh, there's some great questions there all the time. And of course, you have uh, over a thousand parents who are engaging with you and reading your questions and helping uh, with some input themselves. So we're going to pick up one of those questions in a moment. First of all, I want to give a shout out, as we do every week, to our two sponsors who make it possible for us to come to you. Uh, We've got the Center of Place of Hope with Dr. Greg Jantz, and uh, it really is their vision. To be a place of hope, they're providing uh, inspired healthcare for uh, to help you restore balance in your mind, your body, and your spirit. And they are one of the top ten centers for depression. So we encourage you to check out wonderparenting.com for our good friends up there in the Seattle area. And then Dr. Marion Hill is doing some great work down here in Phoenix that you can access all over the world. Uh, it's called Man Cave. Men all need to be caring, actively engaged, vested, and encouraged. And uh, they're trying to provide some leadership, not only for dads to help dads become more engaged, but also to promote uh, healthy uh, relationships with moms and marriage. And so if you're interested at all in the great work that they are doing around the issues of manhood, masculinity, dads and sons and daughters and relationships, go to wonderparenting.com, wonderparenting.com, and you'll find a link that will get you directly to Dr. Marion Hill. So, Michael, I'd like to uh, read our question for today, mm-hmm. and uh, we've got a, a mom here who's got some challenges, and she is anticipating some great wisdom and insight from Dr. Michael Gurian today, as we all are, as we always Uh-oh. do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my daughter is 12 and just starting to go through puberty, but I'm already at my wit's end when trying to reason with her about various situations. Every time I try to have a mature, calm discussion about something, she tries to leave, rolls her eyes, raises her voice. I try to empathize and let her know that I understand how she may be feeling, but it seems to annoy her, and she says, Mom, stop. I don't need empathy, or I hate when you talk like that. So I find all the great advice and wording I find on the wonder of parenting, up oh, that's us, Uh, that can be used to connect with your child is basically useless to me when the child just won't have it. I try to wait for different moments of the day when she seems to be in a good mood to have the conversation again, but it goes downhill just as fast. We do take privileges away when we need to motivate her to do better, but it seems sometimes that she really just doesn't care. So what can you do when kids just don't want to listen and have a conversation? And, um, of course, <laughs> we can give great general 
parenting wisdom and advice, but every child is different. And this is a great example. And I, I thought this would be a good podcast for us to kind of talk about some of the nuances of our kids and the challenges. And when even the best advice doesn't seem to work, <laughs> what do we do? So, all right, Michael, just some general thoughts to begin. Yes. Well, I, of course, having having had two 12-year-old daughters myself <laughs> who are now 29 and 32, but we're 12, I'm totally with you so I'm, to this parent and to all parents uh, and all moms uh, in this situation. So yep. we're, we are, you are not alone. Um, you are not facing something that other people have not faced. You are absolutely on target. Uh, so the daughter is 12 and, and the insight about puberty, let me just talk about that for a second. The insight about puberty that the mom has is really spot on, um, uh, depending. So every girl, every child, but we're going to focus on girls. Every girl is going to start getting hormones that hit and the hormones are going to affect her emotional life. And that's, that's the way it is. And, um, and so she's going to be somewhere on a spectrum in terms of her cycle and, how this emotionality happens uh, within a month, within a week, um, and and just throughout this time period where her body and brain are trying to get used to all this hormones and growth. And so one of the ways that it does come out is in this kind of mother-daughter conflict. And so that's really important that it, the child is within the range of normal to be doing all of what this child is doing within the range of normal. And most of it is coming from it, from inside. It's not something the mom has done, right? That the mom has been a bad mom or anything like that. Okay. So that's the very first thing to say. Um, the second thing I would say is that the parents uh, have the right to be respected by their child. Mm. So, so the daughter has the right to have a voice, of course. Uh, and, and the daughter has a voice here when she says, um, you know, I don't need empathy. Okay. That's her, that's her voice. What we call popularly voice. It's her expressing her needs, which is what we want every daughter to be able to do. Right. We don't want them to be, to be kowtowed or hidden away. We want them to have a voice. So that's a good thing. The daughter is having her voice. And um, she's saying, I don't want to talk about that right now. All of that. That's her voice. Um, at the same time, we, she, she needs to respect the mom. And so my advice there would be if her voice becomes disrespectful, you know, then the mom has a right to stop that. And, and the dad or whoever is the other co-parent needs to help the mom to be respected by this child. Uh, because there is a, there are many ways the child can have the voice without disrespecting. Okay, at the same time, I don't think it's disrespectful for the child to say, "Mom," uh, and I'm quoting now. I don't need your empathy. Um, uh, I hate when you talk like that. Ought to be explored, um, and it does veer on disrespect. But the child is trying to get at something in mm. the mom and the way the mom is saying things that the child when they're calmer, the mom, I think, ought to ask the child, okay, what exactly do you mean by that? What What is it I am doing that you say you hate? Please don't use hate with me, but let's talk about it, right? And then the child can say, well, and and I think the mom's going to learn stuff. The child's going to say something like, well, you're in my face. I don't want you in my face. Or you think you understand me. And so you're trying to talk to me. Well, you don't understand me or, or whatever it is, right. That's going to be elicited in that conversation is going to be really valuable. Um, while the mom will be saying, okay, 
I love that you have this voice, but I have to be treated with respect. And here's where you went over the line. And I'm not sure I hate when you talk like that actually is over the line. Um, but this child is probably saying some things that, that are disrespectful and the child needs to be brought back to respect. The third thing I would say um, is that this mom is entangled, what we call entangled with the daughter. And the daughter is trying to say, leave me alone. And the mom, I think, has to look at her own abandonment triggers or rejection triggers or, you know, all of that stuff that all of us as parents have to look at when our child starts to individuate from us and says, I want to be independent. I don't need you hovering. I don't need you telling me who I am, blah, blah, right. All of these things, which are actually very valuable for them to say they're individuating. So it triggers us. So I think this mom is triggered, uh, abandonment or rejection or something is triggered as would be really normal. And so that she could look at with the adults around her and with her hu husband or partner, with her friends, you know, with her own parents, looking with therapists, whatever. Okay, I'm really getting triggered. So then I'm pushing this daughter harder. The daughter doesn't want me so involved, but I'm hovering. Okay, you know, why? That would be the fourth thing I would say. Uh, and the fifth thing is that the, or I'm sorry, the fourth thing is that the child is modeling stuff, right? Off of probably social media, um, mm. her friends. She's, she's modeling stuff stuff in her interaction with her parent that are going to start veering on or are veering into disrespect. And there, it, this might be an opportunity to really look at how much time she's spending on, on social media, right. At 12. And if she's spending hours and hours and hours on social media, uh, then that's like a job the parents could have to help her to get off of that stuff because that stuff is triggering a lot of emotionality you know, right. There's a natural amount of emotionality that's going to happen during uh, female puberty, but it's being enlarged by all of the social media, the negativity, the anger, all of this is being. So if she could get back off of some of that social media and the parents could help her, that might actually help to cut back on some of this. And then the fifth thing I would say is to ritualize now. So once the parent decides, okay, I just can't be talking to her as much. She doesn't want me to talk to her as much. Um, now let's institute some rituals. So we are going to talk about what is going on in your life because you are 12 and I am the parent and I really need to be here to help you. So we are going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it at dinner or we're going to talk about it when you come home from soccer or, you know, or we're going to talk about it while I lie down with you in bed to cuddle if they still do that. That's when we're going to have a ritual. So I, as the parent, am not going to go two weeks without hearing what's going on in your life, except when you're mad at me. We're not going to do that. We're going to ritualize. I got to be in contact with you, but I certainly don't have to be doing it as much as I am. Mm. Those are my basic insights on this. Wow. There's some really good stuff there. This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Frame. Mother's Day is almost here. What are you getting her? Something that shows you care. Something that makes her feel loved. Something that won't stress you out. Something like the Skylight Frame. 
The Skylight Frame is the perfect gift. It's a touchscreen photo frame your whole family can upload photos to from wherever they are in the world. It's a way to share with her all the moments that matter. It sets up in seconds. You can even make sure that it's already loaded with photos when your mom opens her Mother's Day gift. And her Skylight Frame can hold thousands of the treasured photos you share. It's an easy, heartfelt way for mom to stay connected with those who matter most. It really is the perfect gift. Now, as a special Mother's Day offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe.com slash easy. Um, I actually wrote down, I don't normally take notes when you're talking because I want to just stay in the moment, but I wrote, wrote down the word individuate. Okay. Uh, which sounds, you know, partly what's going on. So, you know, the, the, the stereotype of the teenager, of the 12-year-old teenager moving into teenage, is that they suddenly know everything, right? They're smarter than their parents. You get a lot of the eye rolls. Uh, Mom, you're so out of touch. Dad, you don't know what you're talking about. And it's it's interesting that some of that does come from maybe social media, but that was around even when you and I were growing up and we didn't have social media. Mm-hmm. Um, we were both probably smarter than our parents when we yep. were 12. Um, what's, let's talk a little bit about what you mentioned. She's going through all these things. What are some of the, the, the body things, the brain things, the hormone things that she is going through that the 12 year old girl is going through? Yeah. Well, okay. The hormone wash, of course, and then it's effect on the brain. Um, uh, and, and then also, and that's triggering not only her, um, that's triggering some of her narcissism. So part of what's going on is that developmentally, it's pretty appropriate for us to expect that kids are going to go through a narcissistic phase. Okay. And for her, maybe it's hitting at 12, another child, it may not hit, hit till 14, another child, it may start earlier pre-puberty at 10. Um, it doesn't, it's not caused by hormones, but it's um, concomitant with them, right? It's simultaneous with puberty. Uh this adolescent narcissism. So they, they feel that they know it all. And, and part of what they have to do is make the other stupid, right? They have to make the parents stupid because I know it all. And if the parent says something different than I think, well, isn't that stupid, right? Cause I yeah. know it all. So, uh, you know, but we do have to be pointing this out to our kids as they do some of this, we have to be pointing out to them. Um, okay. You're being really narcissistic. I know your ego is developing right now, but you know, it's really narcissistic of you to think that, you know, everything, um, and that we know nothing and, you know, all of that to have the conversation because they're going to go through the narcissism. And this is a helpful time then. So the other thing happening is individuation and they're using the narcissism in some ways, the brain being so complex uses the narcissism to individuate, to help them to become independent, to help them to move away from the parents influence, um, and to help them to become adult. So that individuation, which takes a number of years, of course, around a decade, that individuation, um, we are lucky that the hormones are hitting. In a way, we're lucky that they're having the narcissism because we want them to individuate. We want them to become independent and to be able to take care of themselves. So that's kind of how I would look at those things and just know they're happening um, and then try to reframe them as part of what's good but then uh, because of the individuation and because they're learning new skills and assets, but then to, to always help them keep in mind that I am the parent. Uh, there are some things that I know that I need to help you with. And so I still have a role. And even though you are narcissistic, I still have this role. 
And, mm-hmm. and part of the parent's role, just like the teacher's role and the mentor's role and the peer mentor's role, is to push back on the narcissism. And peers, peers do a lot of that. Peers push back on each other. And, you know, they're making fun of each other and they're, they're um, uh, um, tell, calling each other stupid or, you know, these things which we go, oh, we'd rather they didn't do that. But what they're doing also is pushing back and saying, well, you're not as smart as you think you are. I'm smart, you know, and they're, and they're in that cycle. So, um, so that's another reason that we really need the parents to, to define a role with these kids, uh, to ritualize it as needed, especially in a case like this, to ritualize the contact, to do father-daughter time, to do mother-daughter time, you know, ritualize that, grandparent-granddaughter time, ritualize that, so that the parents can still pour them what they know into the child and during those times fight back, um, you know, um, and explain to the child about the narcissism and explain to the child about the hormones and about what estrogen is doing. And, and, you know, and minds of girls has a lot on this. The wonder of girls has a lot on this. That'll give parents language like, like, Hey, do you realize that you're getting washed with these hormones and these hormones are affecting your frontal lobe. They're affecting the, the way that you connect what's going on in the frontal lobe with the emotions. They're enlarging your, amygdala so you're really really emotional and and sometimes your frontal lobe can't override that and Mm -hmm. so you're being really mean to me because your amygdala is is enlarged you're being really mean and you're being mean to other people and that's what's happening in you uh and you have to make choices right and you still have to make choices so you still have to choose whether you're going to be mean to me whether you're going to disrespect me you have to choose that that's part of growing up and so um making the conversation go in that direction, uh, which helps it get out of this power struggle, right? Because what the mom's going to do now is not, not engage as much with this child, but ritualize the engagement. And then during that ritual time, be pointing out what's going on so that the child can understand it. Uh, Because a lot of what we are going to be able to do with the child that is, is individuating and that is washed in hormones and going through all of this, a lot of what we're going to be able to do now as parents is educate. Mm. Uh, We're not going to necessarily, we shouldn't necessarily target changing their behavior um, because they have a right to that behavior. Like I don't need your empathy. I I, I don't see as a parent that we need to change that. I I think the child has a right to say that, you know, Um, the child is expressing the need. So, or the non-need. So our target ought not be power struggle. Our target ought to be educating them so that they can mature. You said earlier um, <clears throat> that to ritualize, which which in part you were saying, when things are calmer, make sure that you talk. And you actually sort of are intentional about that. We're going to talk about this tonight over dinner, or we're going to talk about this tonight at seven o'clock. You're in the heat of the battle. Right, your your daughter is going through whatever she's going through. She's really upset. It's natural, I think, for parents to want to step into that chaos and try to figure it out right then. Is that the best strategy, or do you have a better strategy when the kid is really just they're gone, they're they're off, they're angry, they're hormonal, whatever the words are? What's the best strategy in that moment? And then how do you say to your daughter in that moment? Uh, we are going to talk about this, even if it's not right now. 
Yeah, you can. Well, first, first of all, your, your I think your insight is absolutely correct that while there's the chaos, while every parent is going to follow their instinct, of course, and if they want to enter the chaos, they will. They're following their instinct, maybe. But but yeah, from an objective point of view, you know, put the therapist hat on. We're going to say to parents, OK, if, if that child is that emotionally embroiled right now, you probably want to walk away. You know, this mm-hmm. you're probably not going to accomplish anything. Um, and and I say probably because there's gonna be some times when you enter the chaos and you are gonna accomplish something. Mm-hmm. The moment is right to accomplish something, and so every parent has to have their instincts on that. But a lot of the time, no, the child's just too hormonally washed, too emotional, and people are gonna say things if you stay engaged right there. People are gonna say things that the other will take personally. People, I, the parent, will take things personally, uh, and that just in, um, uh, it's like a marital conflict. You know, there are moments where, you know, we have to stop Mm. because, uh, we're both too emotional and nothing is going to be gained from this. And in fact, we're going to create harm for our relationship. Uh, so, so I think parents should pull away. Um, and I think you're uh, when they need to, and I think you're really wise though, to say to the child, okay, we're going to, we are going to talk about this, but right now is not the moment. You know, I get I get that you're really, really angry with me right now. Mm-hmm. This isn't the moment. So I respect you. You know, you go to your corner. I'll go to my corner. Uh, you know, that's a show of respect. Uh, but we are going to talk about it. Yeah. And and then it's ritualized. So the child knows, you know, OK, we're going to talk about it. And by then and that what that should help. That should help with what the mom is talking about, where she says, even in the calm moments, my daughter is, you know, basically being mean to me, even in the calm moments. Well, part of that is because this, that is what has become ritualized. The mom is constantly talking to the daughter. The daughter is constantly pushing the mom away and uh, they haven't developed a more mature way, a more, more mature way of parent and adolescent to deal with these things. They haven't done that yet. Right. So, so the child, even when things are calm, the child's pushing back on the mom. Um, I think it's possible the child will not push back on the mom as much when they're calm because the child and the mom are not so entangled those, those other five times earlier in the day, you know, or there's other 10 times earlier in the day. So now let's say pick seven, pick anything, but let's say it's at seven. Uh, all devices are turned off now and we're going to re- we're going to relate. And that's our ritual. And now. Yeah, the child's probably calmer. The first few times, the child's actually going to probably be revved up because expecting the worst, you know. But then as the the child sees that this, okay, this is a good ritual, you know, then uh, the child should stay calmer and they ought not have the entanglement. And then the parents will see, oh, okay, you know, this strategy is working. But it's partly going to work because of the pulling away and ignoring and not entangling earlier in the day. Yeah. I think every parent, especially with their first child, depending on how they respond to puberty, it's just a shock. You've had this beautiful child and then like overnight, bam, this monster enters the room and you, you want to say, what have you done to my child? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and we've, you know, we have a hard time as parents remembering what it was like for us when we were going through that. Mm -hmm. You know, if we took some time to just breathe and say, yeah, I was, I remember being like that. I remember my emotions being all over the place and, uh, you need to give my, my child some space, but it can be, it's pretty shocking 
to wake up one morning and that's a whole different child than what you'd been raising for the first 11 years of his or her life. Mm, yeah, that's so beautifully put. 100% of parents are yeah. going to recognize what you just said. Yeah. Uh, and you've also said something so wonderfully significant too, um, or you've hinted at it, that we ought to, as we're going through that shock, it, it would be great if if our parents are still alive, uh, aunts <laughs> yeah. and uncles, you know, if they're all, let's say they're still alive and we can go to them and say, okay, uh, tell tell me what I was like. And then tell me the strategies you used mm. to as a parent to to sort through to sort through what I was like you know and to yet to still parent me and to still help me um to grow up uh so that's a twofold conversation it's one humbly admitting oh whoops okay now my daughter has become me uh and 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 fact checking that with the parents cuz maybe not but you know probably yeah. But then also, then it's such a neat thing for the parents to be able to pass it on, you know, to now be needed for their wisdom and to uh, or be needed again for their wisdom. And then to be able to kind of advise us Uh, and some of the things that they're going to suggest that they did, we're not we're going to say no to. Right. Because part of being a parent now is saying, I don't want to parent that way. But Mm -hmm. okay, fair enough. But some of the things that they did with us we're going to go, Oh, that's a good strategy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm just basically tailing off of what you said. Yeah. Is this question that we have, because it's from a mom with a daughter, is this, uh, it, it, does this kind of situation tend to be more mother daughters in puberty? Oh, well, that's, that's going to have a long answer. I mean, uh, the uh, at puberty, all kids are doing what I just described. Right. Um, they're they're individuating. They can be narcissistic boy, girl, every child. Um, uh, so that would the first answer would be this can happen with any child. The second answer would be that, yeah, the mother daughter relationship is a unique thing, just like the mother son relationship is a unique mm-hmm. thing. So there can be some differences. And in the mother daughter relationship, um, we are dealing with two brains, two brains, two minds that are wired the same way and two hormonal systems that are wired the same way. And, and, you know, when people talk about almost universally, people will talk about, okay, there's a difference between boys and girls, boys and men and women, boys don't tend to take things as personally boys get angry. Then they're over it. They don't tend to hold on to it. Okay. So these things that say in an individual case at an individual moment, that won't be true. A boy will hold on to things and take things personally. But the, you know, the reason people universally say this is that these brain structures are different and the, the male brain isn't computing all this stuff and it doesn't get hormonal. um, And I mean, hormonal in a good way. I don't see hormones as a bad thing. I just mean they're part of life. The doesn't get the estrogen and the progesterone and the oxytocin and all these hormones um, spiking. And then when they spike, affecting the amygdala uh, in, in the same way or affecting the frontal lobe in the same way that testosterone in boys does, right? That's what we tend to get the most of. And it affects us in some pretty significant but directed ways toward more mm-hmm. aggression or withdrawal, you know? Um, but the hormone structure of this girl and the hormone structure of mom uh, uh, it, it, they can get really, really embroiled in ways that the, so then the mother and daughter can get really embroiled in ways that the mother and son don't, may not get because partly because the son just 
is just like a wall. You know, he doesn't, he's not as emotionally embroiled um, at, at a certain point in adolescence. And so the mother is just like, oh, well, I guess I can't have the relationship with I ha- with him that I had. Right. Uh, he has individuated and he's a guy. And now, right, it, the mom feels that. But the mom has the daughter and feels the relationship with the daughter. So that is where I think there is difference and where the mom and the daughter, because of their similar brain structures and hormonal, thus emotive systems, uh, that they may have more of this trouble than a mom and a son may have at a certain point when the mom right. is just forced to let go of the son emotionally. Well, mom, we feel for you. Um, I raised a, a daughter along with my wife and of course, Michael's had two daughters. So uh, if you got a daughter or a son, they're going to go through puberty and uh, every child's going to do it in their own unique way. Uh, and uh, so we, as parents, uh, you know, we do what we can. We just keep loving them. And I, uh, the one thing that I, that we always want to make sure is that somehow, in some way, regardless of the battles and the pushbacks and the retreats, that our children always know that when all is said and done, I can go to mom, I can go to dad, and it's going to be okay, and mm-hmm. they're going to love me nonetheless. So that's what we're we're trying to think through together: is how do you walk through all these minefields of emotions and change and individuation and yet come out the other side and, and love each other and know it's, it's okay. There's just part of growing up together. So Michael, it's been really Mm. good stuff again, as always. You too. Thank you. Thanks everybody for listening. And uh, if you've got some friends who've never heard of the wonder of parenting podcast and you think they would appreciate some of the uh, stuff we're talking about, send them our way. Uh, We will be back with you again next week. Have a great week. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.